Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. If someone asks you what you believed as a Christian, and you're someone who values the unchanging Word of God and loves and supports Israel, how would you answer them? Over the next five weeks, we're going to focus on the core doctrines of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Our beliefs as an organization originate in the Word of God, and that's why it's important. What we believe affects the way we live and do ministry. Now, listen, before you go and change that radio dial or before you turn off the podcast because you heard the word doctrine and you might think, okay, where are we going here? I want to encourage you to stay with us because, see, doctrine is important. Doctrine helps us better understand who God is. And let me tell you something. If we didn't care about doctrine, how could we say that we truly love God? You know, our love for him comes through a proper understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. And that's why we're going to be looking at doctrine over the next few weeks. In studio with us will be Steve Herzig, who is the director of North American Ministries. And we're going to be looking at two important uh, aspects of doctrine today, which is Jesus, of course, who is Jesus, and then also the Word of God. So it's going to be something that you want to hear, and I hope that you stick around. Steve, great to have you in the program. Great to have you in the studio. Great to be here, Chris. Looking forward to it. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about. You know, uh, a couple of issues ago uh, for our magazine, Israel, My Glory, we did a whole issue on doctrine, on where we stand doctrinally as the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. It's all of the uh, key doctrines that we believe in, that we believe are important. And from that, we've gotten more mail in and uh, more responses from our from our readers, from our listeners about this magazine that we actually took the content of that magazine and turned it into a pamphlet, a booklet, actually, 19 key Christian beliefs uh, that are, I th- believe are very important to the Christian life. And we're going to break some of those down over the next few weeks. That's why I have you in here today. Um, and so today we're going to be looking uh, at the doctrines of, of course, surrounding Jesus and surrounding the Word of God, and we're going to try to find a way to blend them together as well here in the end, which I don't think will be that hard. But, you know, one of the very first things that we come across when we're reading through this uh, this issue of Israel, My Glory, is that Jesus was uh, came as a result of a virgin birth. So my question to you is, uh, wh- you know, why did Jesus need to be born a virgin? Where does that concept come from, and what does that say about Jesus? Chris, that's a that's a great question and one that actually impacted me personally a number of years ago. The idea of a virgin birth from a Jewish point of view should be biblically something anticipatory uh, because in Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14, it talks about a virgin, an alma, uh, the Hebrew word uh, shall conceive and, and bear a son. But I can tell you growing up. The last thing I was looking for, and I was looking for the Messiah, but the last thing I was looking for was for a virgin to conceive and bear a son. Uh, I thought that was an abomination. I would have stood right next to the Pharisees uh, in the Gospels and and said everything they said about Jesus uh, when it as it relates to him being the Messiah, a, a, a person who is also God. And can I just rewind for our listeners who might not know who you are? You come from an Orthodox Jewish background. That's the reason you're saying you 
would have stood with the Pharisees. That's what that from your background. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm glad you clarified yeah. that because there's some people I don't want them to drive off the road. So, <laughs> so yes, I'm glad you did that. But um, once once you read that in the text, I had to find a way to connect with that possibility, and it wasn't hard for me to do, and it helped convince me to the possibility that it's true. And that is back in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12, Sarah laughs. That's a very simple verse. Sarah laughed. Well, what, 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 she, what is she laughing at? She's laughing at the idea that her 100-year-old uh, husband, who was 99 at the time of this prophecy, uh, was going to impregnate her at 89 years old. Why would she laugh? Because physically, that's craziness. That, and the text insinuates that it's craziness. So when you read that and you realize that the Jewish people came as a result of a 100-year-old man watching his son be born to his 90-year-old <laughs> wife. That's right. The thing you have to say is this doesn't happen all the time. This is unique. This is a amazing moment. All Jewish people who have any sense of the Bible know they came from that. And for me, at least, when I came across Isaiah 714, after I initially freaked out that it's not possible, that it can happen, it's sin, the idea of an abomination, a man being a, being a, a, a God in the flesh, and yet here is the prophecy, and I found a way, at least in my mind, if God did a miracle back in Genesis chapter 18, then what's to prevent him from doing another miracle that might not be on my radar, but if the text says it, I have to believe it in Genesis, and now I'll have to believe it in Isaiah, and then once I read the gospel. So the big concept that we get from the idea of the virgin birth is that this is not a mere man. This is a different man that's coming. This is divine. different. A hundred percent man, because his mother is his mother. That's right. But different in that Joseph had nothing to do with this. This came about by the Holy Spirit. That makes him unique and one of a kind, which is a good thing. And what also makes him unique is that Jesus has this title. So he was born of a virgin, but he also has this unique title within the Jewish world. And the title is Messiah. Number one, how would you define Messiah? What does it mean? And what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? You know, as your listeners are driving around or at home or whatever, oftentimes they've heard Christ in language. Growing up, I heard the name Jesus, the title Christ from my own father. That was when he got a bill that my mother charged (laughs) and he opened it up and announced his name uh, as what happened here. Who spent this money? They use it in a curse way. That's right. And my father did that. So we have Jesus, the Christ. It's not the Christ family that lives down the street, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. He is Yeshua, Jesus, the Christos, the Mashiach, the Messiah. Jewish people who believe in the Bible, there's a, they're not the majority do believe in the Bible, but Judaism teaches a future Mashiach, a title the anointed one for those of our listeners who are familiar with movies they might be familiar with a quote from one of the movies where they say he's the one the one right the one that's exactly what they say in the gospels 
in in a certain sense he is the one the one that was promised and now he's here and when you read matthew particularly which is a, a great a gospel concerning the king and the kingdom you read about how he authenticates the fact that he is the messiah he proves he meets the requirement and then he demonstrates it with his actions you know this term to messiah is ultimately another term for the king of israel as well he is the king of moshiach is the king the anointed one and i do love that one passage at the end of john um when 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 they see jesus and jesus does something uh, amazing for nathaniel they're they're all being introduced and i i believe it's nathaniel looks at jesus and goes you truly are the son of God, the king of Israel. And for them, for Jewish people in their mind at that time, the concept of the son of God and the king of Israel were one. It was the identity of the Messiah. So what we see right away, like we've been talking about with the virgin birth and the Messiah here, is that Jesus is not your normal average uh, king of Israel. He is different. He comes by way of the Holy Spirit, through a virgin birth, he comes in the 100% man, 100% God, but carries the title of the king of Israel. W- would you say that's true? Chris, I would just say it this way. Jesus is a game changer. Yes. He changes, he he fulfills what was required, but he's so big at the moment, he changes the game. And when you read the Gospels, the reactions, there were no, oh, he's okay. I could take him or leave him. No, there was either I'm giving up everything I have, I'm following this guy, or he's he's a threat to who I am. He's a game changer and he's radical. And radical, we think negative all the time. He's a radical in the sense that everything that's promised kind of spooked our own people because he was greater and more powerful than what they even anticipated. Too much for them. Now, I want to transition here. And the transition is uh, moving from Jesus, uh, our focus there to the scriptures now, because this is about Jesus and the scriptures and the word. I want to know, because especially because our understanding of who Jesus is comes from the scriptures, the Old Testament. Um, So why is the Bible uh, different? You know, why isn't the Bible just like any other book? Why is it different than all of the other books that, uh, you know, we might see on the New York Times bestseller list? What what makes it different? Well, well, first, let me give you the end of the story and then let me kind of fill in the blanks. L- look, there are certain verses that our listeners probably are familiar with. They go with those who go to church. Second Timothy chapter uh, three and verse 16 tells us that the word is God breathed. Uh, we know that the Bible's for correction, for doctrine, for reproof. We, we know all that. And I want, I want to make that clear. But let me back up to the Jewish people. I grew up in a synagogue. Do you know when they take the scrolls out of the ark, the Torah scrolls, which is the Old Testament, specifically the five books, handwritten, taking years to write, the whole congregation stands up. Mm-hmm. They all stand up. There's a value. They they bring it out. They walk around. If somebody drops that text, if, the, if it just drops on the floor, whoever dropped it has to fast for 40 days. Wow. All right. Why? What's, what's, it, it's a scroll. Oh, some guy wrote on it. What's, oh no. We know growing up, this is the word of God. In fact, and there's some churches, there's some people, who, some pastors who read the word. And then when they're finished, they say, this is the word of God. That's a, that's a way of expressing how important, how reverent 
the text is is from God to us. In our, in our booklet, we have one of the doctrines that we hold is the inspiration of, is, of, of Scripture. We believe every word is God-breathed. We believe everything about it is important. But it is the, the Bible has become, for some of us, so normalized. When I was growing up, if you took a Torah book, which called a Chumash, has the Bible, and you set it down and put a cup of coffee on top of it, my rabbi, if he saw me, well, I wasn't drinking coffee when I was young, <laughs> but if I put a glass of water or something, he'd wrap my hand with a ruler. Yeah. You can't do that. If you write in it, you know, take a highlighter, they have to bury the text. Yeah. What, uh, the reason I'm bringing all this up is this is, we believe at Friends of Israel, and I have believed all my life, this is God's communication to us. Inspired. We are hearing God talk to us. As Paul says, God breathe. God breathe. God breathe. That's what makes this book so different. And listen, we're going to have Steve back after our break here in a moment. And we're going to be continuing our discussion on the scriptures. And I'm going to tie it up and come full circle to come back to Jesus on how it relates to the scriptures. You won't want to miss it. Stick around. If someone asks you what you believed as a Christian, and you're someone who values the unchanging Word of God and loves and supports Israel, how would you answer them? Many struggle to understand what God's Word says about creation, the Church, Jesus Christ, salvation, Israel, and the end times. Our hope is that our booklet, Here We Stand, will equip you with 19 key beliefs of the biblical faith. Learning doctrine doesn't have to be a chore. It can revitalize your walk with God and demonstrate your love for him to others as you come to know him better. To purchase your own copy of Here We Stand, 19 Key Christian Beliefs, visit us at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. We'll have a link on our homepage, or you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940, and someone will return your call during our regular business hours. Once again, that's 888-343-6940. To order in Canada, call 888-664-2584. Again, that's 888-664-2584, and that's in Canada. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Herzig is in the studio with me, and we were just talking about the importance of the scriptures, how they're God-breathed, and that's what makes them different from any other printed text around the world. But in your opinion, Steve, I want to know this. How do we interpret the scriptures? Yeah, You know, if they're divinely inspired I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that think that the word of God can be viewed or interpreted in many different ways. What do you say about that? I have three words to say. Literally, physically, and grammatically. Those are the only three words people need to know. We we open the book and we want to know who wrote it, when did they write it, and what were they writing about and understand that it's a narrative starts starting in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation, and that unlike what is happening in many churches where they are interpreting the Old Testament backwards, that is, they are starting with the New Testament, that's the lens, and they read the Old Testament. We at Friends of Israel believe that it's a progressive revelation, starting in the book of Genesis, going to the book of Revelation, and that whatever text you're at, there is previous text that's carried along, and we take Numbers, literally, unless context says no, 
we take all the scripture literally, unless it's poetry or, or something in context that can change it. So we take it literally, physically. That means that when there's land, we believe that that land is earthy, that mm-hmm. we can hold it. Mm-hmm. And grammatically, when we read the text, if I have trouble with the grammar, I need to talk to a scholar by way of a commentary or something to get the grammar right because it's it's inherent in the text to interpret it correct. I think the text is designed to plainly speak for itself because it's God breathed. What God breathed onto the text, onto the scriptures that we read is his letter to us that we are to be responsible to look at from a literal, a plain, grammatical, historical perspective. That means we need to know the background uh, because the background plays into everything. The backgrounds of the New Testament and Old Testament is a big reason for how we interpret and understand the Bible. One of the reasons, Chris, that Friends of Israel has been taking people to Israel since 1977 is because even though the nation is modern and the text is older, we want to get people into the physical area where they can actually see some of the places that were still, for instance, if you're on the Sea of Galilee, the Bible talks about the Sea of Galilee and it's the actual Sea of Galilee is no different. It's a little less water in there than when Jesus was there. Mm -hmm. And it makes the Bible come alive. Why? We take it for what it says, written about or for or with Jewish people and how that message, that narrative gets expanded to the Gentiles and it tells us the end of the story. That's right. There is, it gives us hope. That's right. Because only God knows how things end. All right, so let's put a bow tie on this because we started with Jesus. We looked at him both as 100% God and 100% man, the King of Israel, the Messiah. Um, we looked at the scriptures, they're God breathed. But in the Gospel of John, uh, John opens his gospel by saying that the word became flesh. Uh, is that word the same word as the scriptures and and uh, and and the Bible is that same concept of the word found in Jesus. Is that what he's saying? It, it, the word became flesh is that that whole concept of the word is logos in Greek, but in Aramaic, it's memra. Uh, and throughout rabbinic Judaism, memra has been used as a person. So if you understand that and understand the Aramaic and the rabbinic thinking, that Memra has been around and they in, in Genesis, when you read the Targums, which are in Aramaic and, and rabbinic in nature, it would be no surprise that the Memra, the Logos, is a person mm-hmm. because he is indirectly with that word Memra, a person in the Old Testament. That's so fascinating. So it does connect. There is a connection between Absolute the scriptures and the very fact that the one who spoke these things is the one who comes in flesh. The problem is that most of my people, Chris, have so deviated from an interest in the text, not unlike many Gentiles who come from church traditions where they're still going to church, but they're not carrying a Bible. They're getting a report on a New York Times bestseller. Well, I want to encourage you to join us again next week because Steve Herzig will be in the studio again, and we're going to be talking about Israel and the church, something that you're not going to want to miss. Thanks for being with us today, Steve. Really appreciate it. Glad to do it. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. The situation in Israel is very tense. There is no peace. Most of the time I am on duty and must patrol the dark streets of Jerusalem on the Arab side. 
My task is to look for mines and booby traps. Our neighboring Arab countries continually threaten to destroy us. But we are not afraid and trust in the Lord. We must hold on to this land, otherwise they shall drive us into the sea. The Lord has promised the land to our people, and there is no power on earth that can gainsay the Lord's will. In the meantime, I give my testimony concerning our Messiah and Savior to as many people as possible. I have visited many friends witnessing to them because we do not know what the next day will bring. Last Thursday, I was on patrol in the main street of former Arab Jerusalem. Around three o'clock in the morning, I noticed a group of people coming my way. They were fully dressed in black robes. I thought they were priests, but when they came close, I realized they were students at an Orthodox Jewish school. Because it was my duty to do so, I stopped them and asked what they were doing out so early in the morning. They answered in unison, We're going to the West Wall to recite Sisho, penitential prayers usually recited before New Year and the Day of Atonement. At first they were frightened, but when they saw that I was an Israeli soldier, they took courage. I asked, when do you think the temple will be rebuilt? One of them said, Only when the Messiah comes will the temple be rebuilt. And where is the Messiah? I asked. He answered, He is already here, but he is waiting to make himself manifest. He will build the temple, and all the dead shall rise from the graves. The leader who was a rabbi asked, what do you think of the Messiah, the son of David, soldier? I answered, The Messiah, the son of David, has come and is coming again. I know him, and many other people know him and have received him as their Messiah and Savior. He laid down his life for our sins and made full atonement for us, according to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. They stood there amazed hearing things that apparently they did not know. The Lord himself put the words under my mouth. Whatever the question, I gave them a scriptural answer. Usually Orthodox Jews do not talk to anyone who confesses Jesus as Messiah, but they were most thrilled and impressed by the fact that I was a soldier guarding their safety while they were asleep or when they go to the Wailing Wall to pray. After I gave them my testimony, I asked, Do you think I should have the same rights as any other Jewish person here in Israel? Or don't I deserve such rights? The rabbi said, You have asked a hard question. If all the Jewish Christians were like you, we would have no difficulty at all. Instead of going on to the Wailing Wall, they lingered around me and discussed the Messiah and Messianic prophecies until nearly six o'clock in the morning. We hardly realized that the night had passed and the morning had arrived.
Chris, as we close, I'll remind our listeners that we have Steve Herzig back with us next week. Can you tell our listeners where we're headed? Yeah, I think our listeners should tune in next week because it's something that's near and dear to our hearts here at the Friends of Israel. We're going to be talking about Israel and the church, the doctrines that surround our core beliefs in in why God values Israel and the purpose of the church as well. So I encourage our listeners to come back next week to hear that. And I also want to remind our listeners that with everything that's happening in Israel and the Middle East, we really believe that you should be reading Israel My Glory magazine. You can get a one-year free subscription of our timely, insightful articles on trends that impact Israel and the Christian world. Simply go to foiradio.org. That's FOI as in Friends of Israel, foiradio.org to subscribe. It's there that you can also find our 19 key Christian beliefs, our Here We Stand booklet. Again, that's foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallione, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. And I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. Mm